Having spent some time on the great debate today and looking at the work of Gerhardus Voss and Van Til's appropriation of Voss's Pauline eschatology and the centrality of the resurrection to the likes of Rudolf Boltmann and his alternative conception of internal history and his demythologized conception of the resurrection. It's time to continue now our examination of the great debate today, the po polemical engagement between confessional reformed and modernist Christology, by looking at Van Til's appropriation not of Voss as much as now the work of Hermann Ritterboss, particularly his magisterial work, Paul, an outline of his theology. And as we get back into that work, the great debate today, Van Til says something on page 175 especially, uh, and there, we'll, we'll look at other portions, but 175 especially, Van Til says this, quote, In such works as the Pauline Eschatology by Gerhardus Voss and Paulus by Hermann Ritterboss, The Theology of Paul, and the eschatology of Paul as based on his theology, that is set forth in great detail. Obviously, Paul's theology expresses the significance of the person and work of Jesus Christ as portrayed in the four Gospels. But Paul, Van Til says, sets forth the significance of Christ from his coming into the world to save his people from their sin, to his leaving the world with the promise of a new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell in all comprehensive fashion. Paul gives his readers an all-inclusive teleology of history and an eschatology which forms the climactic expression of his teleology of history. Now, the term that I'm going to put right underneath Ritterboss's Paul in the diagram we have here is a teleology of history, which Van Til says is at root an eschatology a teleology of history, an eschatology of history. And Van Til is self-consciously here, page 175, and the places we've talked about earlier, and we'll look at more. He is self-consciously following the pioneering work of the biblical theological movement inaugurated by Voss and extended in the work of Hermann Ritterboss. Now, two guiding points must be grasped in order to appreciate a robustly developed Reformed Christology in the confessionally Reformed tradition enriched by Voss and Ritterboss. Voss and Ritterboss are confessional Reformed theologians extending and advancing traditional Reformed theology in terms of a programmatic, comprehensive eschatology of history. Van Til calls it 
a teleology of history. And in this quotation, Van Til notes the programmatic movement of Christ, who is the central concern of this teleology of history. And I've got it mapped out already on the board and we'll be adding things. But here's what we need to appreciate from the Van Til quote first. First, the eternal Son of God, and we'll call that his eternal pre-existence as the creator, Genesis 1.15, uh, Genesis 1.5, Colossians 1.15 and 1.16. The eternal pre-existent Son of God, equal in glory and power with the Father and the Spirit, traverses from the invisible heaven created in the absolute beginning to the visible earth created in the absolute beginning and then formed and filled in the space of six days. There is a fundamental movement that we'll call condescension. The eternal Son condescends from the invisible heavens to the visible earth. This is a true dimensional movement. And if you look at the board here, this line up top is the realm of heaven. It's where the preexistent glory of the Spirit and the Son and the Father fills the heaven temple in the absolute beginning. This line underneath is the earth. And the movement that Van Til's speaking of when he says the Son came into the world is a movement of condescension, a traversing of distinct created dimensions of reality. There is in Orthodox Reformed theology a true dimensional movement, a condescension by which the eternal person of the Son traverses the created dimensions of the invisible heavens and the visible earth. Now let me specify this a little more broadly than Van Til does, <clears throat> just to give you a sense of it. There are forms of condescension in the sun's traversing of heaven to earth. And I, and I will make this statement. Remember, all Trinitarian persons, all of them, the, the, the Godhead is omnipresent. God fills all space and cannot be contained by it, but he fills every cubic inch of space with his presence. When we're talking about condescension, we're talking about special covenantal movements to bless a people in covenant with God. And the movement of condescension is first in the special work of creation and image endowment, in the special act of providence in the covenant of works, and then after the fall, in the incarnation and life of Jesus. And so when we're talking about condescension, there are forms of it. There's creation, 
There is covenantal condescension. There is even incarnation that climaxes on earth in death on a cross. These are forms of condescension to enter into unique relations of blessing with the people of God. Covenant of works, creation, covenantal condescension before the fall, covenant of grace, incarnation to the point of death, and later resurrection. Now what this implies, and this is critical to recognize, is that these events, creation, covenantal condescension, incarnation, they imply direct revelation in history. If you're talking about a teleology of history, an eschatology of history, in the condescension of Trinitarian persons, in the condescension of the Son, there is direct revelation in creation and covenantal condescension. There is direct revelation in incarnation and uh, cross and resurrection. Before the fall, that direct revelation of God is in the special work of creation, in the covenant of works. After the fall, that direct revelation is in the progressive and organic special revelation of God that climaxes in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in back of all this, the key point to appreciate is that the eternal Son of God, when we're thinking Christologically, condescended in creation, condescended in covenant, condescended in incarnation after the fall, to enter uniquely into the visible world in special acts of revelation. Now, this proves destructive of the species of dimensionalism that we've surveyed in previous modules and in the forms of dimensionalism you find in Kant and Barth and Boltmann, whom we looked at recently. Now, so the first, the first major point is that the eternal and pre-existent Son of God condescended in creation and covenant, condescended in incarnation to enter into the visible world of calendar time and to begin what? A history of special revelation. A history of direct revelation in calendar time. Now, I want you to reflect on that because Van Til is bringing that up in a programmatic way. This stands over against all species of modernist Christology, all species of modernist philosophies of history, because it's affirming a supernatural act of condescension by which direct revelation occurs within a history of special revelation. And we're now tethering that history of special revelation to the condescension of the Son of God. Now secondly, the second great movement within this 
teleology of history is not condescension, but what we'll call ascension. The movement from earth back to heaven. The eternal person of the Son of God as incarnate not only condescended in the humiliation of incarnation, but ascended in resurrection and exaltation to sit at the right hand of God in heavenly places. Colossians 1.18, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Jesus Christ having condescended to enter into the visible earthly dimension created in the absolute beginning, having died on a cross, having made satisfaction, then ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. It is, it is now as ascended that Jesus has traversed from the visible earth into the invisible heaven as the glorified Savior and enthroned Lord. And as such, he begins the historical process of destroying his enemies on earth and delivering his church into a new heavens and a new earth, an earth ultimately heavenized as the glorious heaven dimension descends, envelops, transforms, and conforms the earth to its glory. So, not only did the Lagos Asarkos condescend in creation and covenant, not only did the Lagos Insarkos enter into the world and live and die on a cross, but that same enfleshed Lagos, that same incarnate mediator, having died on a cross three days after being raised, 40 days after resurrection, has ascended back into the heaven temple, seated in heaven. The twin movements, condescension from heaven to earth, followed by ascension from earth to heaven, form the epicenter of this teleology of history. This is the way the eschatology of history is regulated by the person and work of Christ. This is Van Til's point. This is a sun-centered, Christologically calibrated teleology of history regulated by the twofold movement of condescension and ascension, coming down from heaven and ascending back to heaven. Now, to relate this to modernist views, as Van Til does in the great debate today, rather than construing Geschichte, and history as incommensurate dimensions that are never organically united, or noumena and phenomena as permanently disparate dimensions of reality with permanently disparate methods of access, Kant. Van Til, following Voss and Ritterboss, understands the personal events of condescension from heaven, creation, the special terms of covenant, incarnation, 
followed in calendar time history by ascension into heaven, a movement from earth to heaven in glory. He understands these to be the foundational categories that drive a biblical eschatology. Such an affirmation secures direct revelation in history, as well as an organic relation between the invisible heaven and the visible earth. And as we uh, could do maybe in a different module, the time when these two dimensions are brought to a climactic unity, when all things on earth good and all elect on earth are heavenized conform to the glory of heaven in a new heaven and a new earth. But the point that Van Til's making is that condescension and ascension drive this teleology of history. Now this quote and these foundational insights guide the whole of Van Til's Christology in the great debate today. And he is self-consciously dependent on the work of Voss, Pauline eschatology, and Paulus uh, from Ritterboss. Ritterboss is Paul, an outline of his theology. Now this material, as far as I'm aware, has never been developed. And in this portion of our module, I want to unpack more of this material and demonstrate how Van Til intended it to be applied to modern substitutes, modern alternatives to this confessional orthodoxy enriched by the biblical theological insights of Ritterboss and Voss. We're focusing especially now on Ritterboss. Now, as we turn to Ritter, uh, the, the uh, dependence of Van Til on Ritterboss, especially his magisterial Paul, an outline of his theology. I have counted, and my count could be off a bit, but I've counted at least 13 consecutive references that Van Til makes to Ritterboss's Paul, Paulus, which Van Til was reading uh, Ritterboss in the Dutch. And the references cluster around what Ritterboss calls the fundamental structures of the Pauline Christology and the fundamental structures of the Pauline eschatology. Van Til, I'll give you a few of these quotes, observes, and all of these quotes are taken from page 172 now, uh, 171, uh, 172 of the great debate today. Van Til observes, quote, Paul's preaching of Christ is a preaching of salvation history. It is controlled, said Ritterboss, by that which has happened in Christ, by the acts of God which he wrought in him for the fulfillment of salvation, of which his death and resurrection form the all-important central point. Ritterboss continues, here lies the ground of the whole of his preaching, and with the historical reality of this eventuation, 
in the past as well in the future, the apostolic kerygma, the apostolic gospel proclaimed, stands or falls as the faith of the congregation. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. Still further, Van Til quotes him, it is, quote, the historic eschatological character of Paul's theology that sets it in organic relation with Old Testament revelation. What happened in Christ forms the conclusion and fulfillment of a great series of divine acts of Israel and the presupposition of the progress and conclusion of the history of the world. Now, in addition, Ritterboss says, Paul sets this all-inclusive character of his eschatology with special fullness in his letter to the Ephesians and Colossians. But it is the great presupposition of all of Paul's preaching through his death and resurrection, the new eon makes its appearance. God's covenant promise to Abraham that in him all the nations of the world should be blessed is fulfilled. Galatians 3, 8, 16, and 29. The whole eschatology of Paul in the last analysis is controlled by the acts of God in Christ. And then, in a section entitled The Firstborn from the Dead in the Great Debate, on page 172, Van Til says this. Summing up the, the matter, says Ritterboss, we may say that Paul's kerygma of the great eon of salvation that has come in Christ is primarily controlled by the death and resurrection of Christ. It is this, in this fact that the present age has lost its power and its grasp on Adam and the children of Adam that the new things have come. It will therefore appear that the entire unfolding of the salvation that has come in Christ constantly reaches back to his death and resurrection because all the facets in which salvation manifests itself and all the names by which it is indicated are in the final analysis nothing else than a breaking through of life in death and of the kingdom of God in the present world. Now, what Van Til does there, and I didn't give you all of the quotes, is he brings into view the way the teleology of history and the revelation of God is centered now in the death, the cross, and the ascension, uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. This is precisely what we saw Voss affirming in the Pauline eschatology. There is a calendar time consecutive movement between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, the humiliation of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus. Now what I want to do in the next several minutes of this lecture is expound more fully on the fundamental structures of Ritter-Boss's Paul, the work on which Van Til so depends, and develop the Christology of that work at key points and note its implications, listen, 
of how the pre-existence of the Son of God bears on his post-existence as raised and ascended, and secondly, how the pre-existence of the Son of God bears on the teleology and the eschatology of history, the history of special revelation. Remember, Van Til's work in the great debate today is not merely setting forth the insights of Voss and Ritterboss. His work is concerned in applying those insights comprehensively to modernist substitutes. So I want us to take some time and think about the work of Herman Ritterboss in the outlines of, of Paul's theology, Paul in outline of his theology, as he speaks on pages 44 through 60 of the relationship between the eternal pre-existence of the Son to his redemptive historical post-existence, I'll define all these terms, and how this regulates and gives shape to the teleology of history, the eschatology of history, we're integrating then Christology and eschatology. And as we do that, we'll begin to turn to pages 44 through 60 and explain some of the key categories that Ritterboss invokes that can be so fruitfully applied to modernist alternatives.